listening to the Northside Christian Church Sermon Podcast. These teachings are recorded at our weekly Sunday morning gatherings in Springfield, Missouri. For more about our church, service times, and how to connect, visit northsidechristianchurch.net. I just want to reiterate today what John said this Thursday. There's some great news for you because we've been in this year of Bible engagement as a church. And on August 25th, on Thursday, we begin the New Testament. Can we just, woo-hoo! yeah, praise God for that. We're excited as we enter into this journey. And uh, this is great news because if you got lost in the journey in the Old Testament, you got lost in the weeds and something happened and you were just like, uh, you had to check out for a little while some, some, somehow, some way. The great news is you can just jump back in. Here's an on-ramp right here into the New Testament. We begin the book of Matthew this week. And the other great news is if you're somewhat new to Northside or you didn't start the Bible engagement or whatever, and you're hearing about this today, I want to encourage you to start. Start on August 25th. Just start with the book of Matthew, reading through the New Testament. Here's why. It's because last year in 2021, only one in six adults, 16%, uh, read the Bible four times or more a week. That's it. And because of that, we just see the effects of that on each and every one of us. Because we're not reading the Bible, we're not equipped to fight temptation. We don't know God. We don't know his heart. We don't know his perspective on a variety of topics. We're not in tune with the Holy Spirit's leading. We're not growing in wisdom and knowledge. And we're not being renewed in our minds. We're not being transformed by the power of God when his word is not at work in us. God's engaging us through his word, but we're not engaging with him. And all of that can change beginning this Thursday. Because as you begin to read through the New Testament, you're going to encounter Jesus. And when you encounter Jesus, you're going to come to know him. And you're going to believe in him. And you're going to be in awe of him. And you're going to admire him. And you're going to want to be like him. And you're going to want to do what Jesus did. And that that really is our challenge as we read through this New Testament this year. We want to do what Jesus did. And the way you do that is by discovering what he did, and the ways in which he did it, his pathways to doing it. And so if you've got a device, you've got a phone, you've got a computer, I want to encourage you to go to our app or go to our website. And from there, it's so easy to click on your Bible engagement. And from there, as you scroll down, you're just going to see each and every day broken down for you. So on August 25th, you're going to see there that we're going to begin reading Matthew chapter 1. There's a psalm for you to pray. And on that day, there's even a video to watch. You just click the link and it's about, since we're starting the Gospels, it's a video about the Gospels. And I just want to encourage you to do that because I believe if we do this together, it is going to be life transforming as we engage God's Word and specifically get to know Jesus better. So I want to encourage you to do that this week because uh, as you do, it's also going to really help our Sunday mornings resonate with you. Today, we're launching a new series because in our year of Bible engagement, we're entering into the New Testament. And the series is entitled, Do What Jesus Did. How many of you remember the phrase, what would Jesus do? How many remember that? WWJD. You probably had a bracelet at one time. You probably even wore it on a shirt. That phrase actually goes all the way back to 1896 when a novel was written. And in the novel, uh, it it was uh, tracking the transformation that happened in the town whenever the Christians in that town said before they do anything, uh, before they make any decisions, they're going to ask the question, what would Jesus do? And they did that for an entire year. It transformed the town. That, That novel was written in 1896. Fast forward a little less than 100 years later. And a youth minister, this gal in a, in a town, was reading that book in 1989. And uh, 
what would Jesus do? And thought of the acronym WWJD. And at that time, friendship bracelets were a big thing. And thought, what if we put WWJD on a bracelet with the youth group and with the kids? And I mean, it swept the nation. It took off. And this whole phrase, what would Jesus do? Which was not a bad question. I mean, when you're thinking about what you should do, ask the question, what would Jesus do? But the question is a little bit subjective. And a little bit theoretical, because I mean, there's many times you're like, what would Jesus do? And you're like, well, I mean, based on what I know of Jesus, I think he would do this. So it's a little bit subjective, a little bit theoretical. So what I want to do today is I want to propose to you an even better question. One that was introduced to me by my friend, Josh Howard, one of our workers there in India and is a part of multiplication movements there. And he said, you know what? A better question than what would Jesus do, WWJD, would be this one. What did Jesus do? What did he do? Because what did Jesus do is more objective. What did Jesus do moves us from theory into actual behavior. What he actually did. And let's do what he did. It's more objective. We want to learn from what Jesus did. In fact, Jesus even gave that invitation, come follow me, follow me. And they did. They imitated what Jesus did. They ate what he ate. They walked where he walked. They did what he did. The early followers of Jesus were doing what Jesus did. And that's my challenge to you. Beginning today as we go through this series this fall is do what Jesus did. Now, I know even that phrase can have a few limitations to it. Like, for example, when you read from John chapter 2 and Matthew 21, that Jesus made a whip and he cleansed and cleared the temple. You know, and I mean, you could be like, well, I'm going to make a whip and go find me a temple. And where's one of those? I'm going to start doing it. Okay, use some discernment here. Okay, let's use some discernment. But even in that storyline of Jesus, I do hope that you would do what Jesus did. I do hope you would play your part to remove obstacles that religious people can put in place that hinder people from the kingdom of God, from knowing God, coming to God, be made right with God, worshiping God, praying God. I, I hope that you would have that same spirit of Jesus in you, that if there are people, places, or systems robbing people of opportunities to know God, and those people are robbing the opportunity because of their own personal gain or their own standing or desire to control, I do hope you would have the same passion of Jesus that would want to remove those hindrances to the gospel. So yeah, I would say even in those storylines, we can do what Jesus did. And that really is our goal in this series, to do what Jesus did and do what the followers of Jesus did. So what did Jesus do? What were his pathways? What were his actions? What were his methods? We tend to be better students of what Jesus taught than we are of paying attention to his methods, his pathways. You see, we want to obey Jesus' words. We do, but we also want to obey his methods, his ways, his actions. What did he do? Why did he do it? So how, how did Jesus abide with the Father? How did he do that? How did he serve the broken? How did he confront religious people? How did he initiate outreach? How did he send workers? How did Jesus preach? How did he prepare to preach? How did Jesus fight against temptation? How did he do this? How did he pray? How did he fast? How did he yield to the will of the Father in every situation? How did he raise up followers? How did he equip them? How did Jesus make disciples? I want to learn how he did that so I can do what Jesus did. 
And so I think this is important for us because the more we study his methods, his pathways, his actions, not only in doing so will we be more aligned with the will of the Father, but we will actually be better equipped to fulfill the Great Commission to make disciples of all nations because we'll be doing what Jesus did. And if we follow in those footsteps of Jesus, if we actually do what Jesus did, Where are those footsteps going to lead? Where are those footsteps going to take us? I love how Josh Howard said this. He said, the footsteps of Jesus will always lead you to the lost, the broken, and the cross. That's where the lost, I mean, where the footsteps of Jesus lead you. The lost, the broken, and the cross. That's where we want to go. So to kick off this series today, I want us just to begin this series by saying this, that the footsteps of Jesus... (laughs) While they're going to lead us to the lost and broken of the cross means this. If we're going to do what Jesus did, we need to notice the need. We need to notice the need around us. Jesus noticed the need. And I want us to go to the book of Matthew and just kind of walk through this book together, beginning in chapter 1, to start looking at how Jesus noticed the need. And so your Bible or device will have it there where we read in Matthew 1 about how God put on flesh. Jesus, God, put on flesh. He added to his deity humanity. Jesus did this. He he came to earth in the form of a baby. And the angel told Joseph, who was going to be the earthly father of Jesus, these words in Matthew 1, verse 21. He said, Joseph, your fiance, Mary, she... We'll give birth to a son, and you're to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. God's going to come from heaven to earth. He's going to add to his deity humanity. Why? Because he noticed people were dying in their sins. They were separated from God. They were in darkness. So what did Jesus do? He went to great lengths to reach the lost, to reach the broken, to reach the sinner. Great lengths to do it. And this is what we see as we go through the book of Matthew. Jesus going to great lengths to get to the lost and the broken and the sinners. In fact, we get to Matthew chapter 4. And when you read Matthew chapter 4 and you ask the question, what did Jesus do? Well, you're going to notice before he ever began his ministry, he, he went into the wilderness where he fasted and he prayed. He spent time with the Father there. And there as he fasted and prayed before doing ministry, he was tempted by Satan. And and what did he do? He fought temptation with the Word of God, the very thing that we're going to come to know even better as we go through the New Testament in this year of Bible engagement. We too need to fight temptation with the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. We got to do it. Jesus showed us what to do. And after Jesus fought that temptation with the Word of God, we read this in Matthew 4, verses 12 through 17. It says, leading Nazareth, which was his, his, uh, uh, where he grew up, he went and lived in Capernaum which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali to fulfill what was said to the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness, they've seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And from that time on, Jesus began to preach, the kingdom of heaven has come near. What did Jesus do? He noticed that people were living in darkness, that the shadow of death was over them. And so he went to those people. He went to those places. He went to the dark places. He didn't avoid them. He intentionally stepped into them to bring light 
to the darkness. In a land where the text says was the shadow of death, not just the curse of sin leading us to physical death, but even the curse of sin leading us to eternal death. And there in that land, there was great darkness. People separated far from God. Oh, how they needed the light of Jesus. And Jesus came in. He stepped into that darkness. He came into proximity with darkness. He went to the lost people. You see in that text that he made Capernaum his home base. Capernaum is up north by the Sea of Galilee. Why did he do that? It wasn't just to get away from the religious leaders down in Judea and Jerusalem uh, so that he, he, could come to, uh, he could come to be the sacrifice at the right time. But it's also because he was using that as an opportunity to reach people who were far from God. There in Capernaum, it was called the Galilee of the Gentiles. It was there. Jesus was a Jew. Jews consider Gentiles their enemies. But he was in the land of the Galilee of the Gentiles. Why was it called that? Because... On the western side of that sea was Tiberias, and Roman personnel would go there for vacation. And Syria was only a few miles from Capernaum. And Capernaum was also close to Phoenicia, across the Jordan River to Decapolis, not far away from Samaria that the Jews didn't associate with. I mean, a lot of the enemies, the people that considered enemies of the Jews were there, and Jesus was doing ministry in that region to those people in that area, a ministry he would not have been able to do from Jerusalem, and the temple, though that is where God's presence for Jesus was dwelled, this was the land of darkness. People were far from God, not just from Jerusalem where the presence of God resided, but Jesus was going to step in, God himself, becoming flesh. He was going to dwell among them and minister to them, to people who were considered the enemies of the Jews. And he brought his light everywhere he went, specifically into dark places. It was God's plan all along, which is why Isaiah 49, 6 says to the Jews that they were supposed to be a light to the Gentiles so that salvation could be brought to the ends of the earth. That was what they were to do because that's what Jesus did. He wanted his people to do what Jesus did. And we keep reading in Matthew chapter 4 and we get to verses 23 through 25 and it tells us that Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and sickness among the people and news about him spread all over Syria and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon possessed, those having seizures and the paralyzed and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan, they followed him. And the people that are listed in that text are people that for the Pharisees, they would have had prejudices against them. The Gentiles or people in Samaria or people with every disease and illness. There was a mindset in Jewish culture at that time that if you were uh, diseased, if you were blind, lame, whatever, that uh, obviously you must have sinned against God and you deserved that. Uh, you know, John 9 is the example of that. When the disciples said to Jesus when they encountered a blind man, who sinned? Was it him or his parents? And Jesus is like, neither. Not that they were sinless, but it wasn't their sin that caused this. The, the, the thinking at that time that would ostracize people and put people away, Jesus is just destroying it. And he comes to these people and he's, he's ministering to them and he's loving them and he's healing them and he's, he's serving them. This is what Jesus does. He goes among the sick. He goes among the demon-possessed. He gets in close proximity to diseases. He goes into the darkness, into the sickness, into the brokenness 
And it's over and over again that we see this. Let me give you another example that you won't read this week, but you'll read next week. It's Matthew chapter 9. Because in Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 through 13, it tells us as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at a tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I've not come to call righteous, but sinners. Matthew's writing about a personal moment in his life when Jesus calls him to follow him. Matthew is the tax collector sitting at the booth. He's an outcast, complete outcast. First of all, he's collecting taxes on goods traded on the Sea of Galilee and those that were traveling the road to Capernaum. He's hated and despised by the Jews because he's working on behalf of Rome and the taxation of the Romans was oppressive and Jewish tax collectors profited from it. He was profiting off his people's own despair. He was viewed as a traitor. He's ostracized from all Jewish life, including going to worship in the synagogue. In today's culture, it'd be, you know, you're not welcome in this church. You can't come here. He was pushed away by everybody. When people walked by his booth, they didn't want to make eye contact. They just wanted to go around and ignore him. If, if, if there was ever a glance in his direction, it was, it was a glance of anger. But when Jesus walks up, he, he looks him eyeball to eyeball. He tells Matthew, follow me. And Matthew had observed Jesus' comings and goings for some time. He gets up. And he follows Jesus. The ostracized one, the one who was considered a traitor, the one who profited off other people's hardships. He followed Jesus. And then Jesus goes to his house for a dinner. Matthew, the tax collector. And there were sinners and despised people there, hated people, sinful people. And when Jesus was criticized for associating with people in such a dark, sinful place, with such dark, sinful people... Jesus tells him, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, it's the sick. I've come for the sick. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, compassion for people. I'm here to call sinners, not righteous. It's been said before that, you know, when it comes to the church, Jesus is the head of our church, that it's not a hotel for saints, it's a hospital for sinners. And well, I believe that's true. It is a hospital for sinners because those who come need healing. And, and Jesus did that kind of ministry too. People were brought to him. People came to him and he ministered to them when they were brought to him. But I think something that we got to see in this text is Jesus wasn't waiting for them to come to him. Jesus was going to them. He was going to the broken. He was going to the lost. He was going where they were sick. He was going where there was a need. He didn't wait for them to come here so they could find here a, a hospital for sinners. He, he was going into those places to meet them there. He didn't wait for people to come to him. He goes to their home. He goes into the darkness. He steps into the brokenness. He breaks bread at their table. He's going to there. And maybe we've been pretty good as a church of, of inviting people to come, come, come. But maybe we haven't been so good like Jesus did to go. That's what Jesus did. He 
would go. And to do what Jesus did, we have to go into the darkness. We have to go to the sick and to the broken, to Satan's strongholds. We've got to bring light into the darkness by going, after all. Isn't that what Jesus commanded us to do in Matthew 28? Therefore, stay and make disciples so they'll come to you. Is that what he said? He says, go and make disciples. As you're going, go into those places and make disciples. And when we go, when we do what Jesus did, it gives us greater clarity. Greatest clarity, greater clarity for the Great Commission to actually do what Jesus called us to do. Because we'll start doing what he did. Go where they are. It's not the healthy who need the doctor. It's the sick. Chris Galanos in his book, Mega Church to Multiplication, he says, typically in America, if, if, if people won't come to our churches, they won't be reached. We spend most of our week planning a big Sunday event that we're hoping our city comes to. And he says, look around, they're not coming. In most places, less than 10% of the population is Christian. According to research done in the Great Evangelical Recession, who's chasing after the 90%? Who's going? Who's working among the 90%? That would never darken the doors of an American church. There's 200 million people in America in that 90%. And Chris says, he says, you know, for the first 10 years, I tried to put on as attractive and powerful of a weekend service as I knew how to do. But what I found is that most people in the city did not come. Now, just so you know, Chris is saying this uh, around the 10th anniversary of their church. They started with a couple people in their living room, and in 10 years, it grew to over 10,000 people. But he's looking at his city going, we're not even making a dent. We're not even scratching the surface. He said, what I found is that most of the city didn't come, and I'm expecting them to come to me. And while many came, most didn't. He says, Jesus did not say to put on a worship service and invite people to come, although there's nothing wrong with that. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. Jesus said, go. And for the first 10 years, I felt like I stayed. If they'll come, I'll reach them. But if they won't come, I guess they're out of luck. And he said, you know what's so disheartening as our team is now going out among the lost, as they're now doing this, some of the most difficult parts of our town, it's apparent that no one else is working in these areas. No one else is going to these people, but many of these people are hungry. They're in need. Many of them will be our persons of peace that is going to help us reach their apartment complex or help reach their family or their whole neighborhood. But the American strategy is not primarily a go strategy. It's been a a come strategy. And he says, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with a come strategy. Clearly 10% might come. But what about the 90%? Who's going to them? Who's initiating that? Who's stepping into the darkness? I can so identify with what Chris is saying. And Jesus is saying, the workers are few. Jesus says in Matthew 9, the workers are few. Will you be a worker? Will you join us? Would you join us in going to the 90? Would you, with greater intentionality, say, I'm going to go and I'm going to pray and I'm going to engage a world that may never come. So I'm going to go there because that's what Jesus did. When you do what Jesus did, it changes everything. It makes all the difference. I want to share a story with you. I'm going to ask Travis Greider to come up. and He's been coming to Northside for like 22 years. He started coming when he was 21, married Amber. 
They have three kids, ages 15, 12, and 7. He volunteers with Costly. He's been doing it for three or four years because he felt like he was serving youth in our church, but he wanted to um, serve kids in our community where they were really hurting. And so he began to get teamed up with CASA, where for an hour or two a week, he's an advocate for the foster care. So he's an appointed special advocate for kids who are in the foster care system, whether they're in it or going into it. And, and one of the things that occasionally Travis will be asked to do is when a foster care child goes to the hospital, they want a, someone trained who's in this system to be there for the, you know the whole time, 24 hours a day when that child is in the hospital. They called Travis uh, just here a while back, not long ago, and asked him to come to Cox North. It was probably 9.30, 10 o'clock at night when he went. And he was there with a seven-year-old girl who had been victim of abuse. Hadn't slept, she hadn't slept in two days. Uh, injured. And his job was to be there emotionally for her, to help with whatever she needed. And she, at the moment, she was sleeping and so he was asked just to sit outside of her door and to be there if anything was needed. And, um, and so I asked Travis to come and just, Travis, just wanted you to share your story of just what unfolded as you're sitting there outside her door. So uh, I get there, and like you said, they uh, tell me everything that happened and why she was in there and uh, give me a rundown on her health and what she's allergic to and everything. But she's asleep. Uh, she's been up for two days, uh, and uh, so she's finally asleep. And so just we're going to sit here in this chair outside of her door in case she wakes up. You're right there with her. Uh, just kind of ran over some things that were going on with her, and, and then the, the lady left. And uh, For the first hour, it was, I'd check in on her and peek my head in the window, and uh, she was restless, but she finally was out. She went to sleep. And so, uh, about an hour, hour and a half in, this it starts getting really crazy, you know, at uh, the ER there, and uh, it's getting real loud. So I kept peeking in, and she's staying asleep. And uh, this lady gets it comes in, and uh, she was in a car wreck. I overheard, and uh, she's just arguing and fighting with everybody. Yeah. And so they quickly got her into a room where she was away from people. Uh, but lucky for me, she was right across the hall. And um, she would come out and argue with the security guard. And, and so I, I, I stood up and kind of put my head against the window and was looking in the window. And, um, and just in my head, I prayed this little uh, prayer that's just, man, Lord, just please let her sleep. Let this little girl sleep. She needs this rest. She hasn't slept in two days. And she, she's gone through so much. I can't even imagine what it is. And uh, uh, just, just, just that. I was just completely repeating myself in my head, completely silent, with my head against the door, looking through like this um, to let this girl sleep. And I noticed the commotion behind me is getting worse and louder. So I noticed another security guard come down and. Look, I'm just going to stand here because I don't really want to turn around and cause more of a scene or her to have more of an action against anything else, just like I'm not paying attention. And then I notice she's not yelling with the security guard. She's yelling at me, and she's telling me to stop praying for that little girl, and that little girl doesn't need your Jesus. I was like, what? I'm not praying out loud. This girl's been asleep for two hours almost, 
and has no idea. It's like, there's no way she knows there's a little girl in here. So I'm like, nah, I'm just hearing things. And then she starts throwing stuff at me and <laughs> hits me with a box of toiletries. And uh, I turn around, and they, two more security guards come down and carry her into her room uh, and give her some medication or something. And security guards come out and like, sorry, that won't happen again. She'll sleep now. Uh, she should leave you alone. She's not going to come out of her room again. She's out. She'll be out. Um, asked me if I wanted to press charges. I was like, no, I'm not going to press charges. It was a box of toiletries. It's not a big deal. So I signed the paperwork saying I wasn't going to do anything. And I proceed to just sit down back in my metal folding chair with, and think that my evening's going to keep going like it has. No, besides that one thing, just no big deal. Um, I sat down and I was like, well, I'm going to keep praying for this little girl. So I pray for her some more. Like I felt like I needed to pray for the lady. And so I was like, Lord, whatever. In my head, completely quiet, not out loud at all, or whatever's going on in that lady, just give her rest, give her some peace, just whatever demon she's fighting. And as soon as I say whatever demon she's fighting, she blows through that door, kicks it open, and starts screaming at me. Lots of profanities, but mostly, you're not wanted here, your Jesus isn't wanted here, I don't want you praying for me, none of these people want you here, leave. I stood up and... Security guards come running down and put her back in her room. That's not a big deal. They just get her situated again and tell her she's not allowed to leave her room. They medicate her some more. As they said, she won't get up now. I was like, all right. And then, um, <laughs> so um, I peek in on the little girl again and pray for her some more. And uh, she just keeps walking out. Every time I sit down in my chair, this lady walks out right at me. Not any desire to look at anyone else, but she's just fixated on me. So I was like, I'm going to go get a drink. So I leave the room and go get a drink, and I come back, and every time I come back, she's standing either looking through her window, just staring at me, or standing in her doorway, leaned up against the thing, and uh, this goes on all night. Um, the uh, nurse from upstairs, the psychiatric ward, comes down and talks to her, and uh, the lady doesn't want to talk to her about anything except for that uh, wants to know if she's a Christian, does she believe in Jesus? Because he does. He does. And then she apologizes. And then she says, I'm sorry, I probably do need Jesus. And then she screams curse words at me and tells me that she's, I'm not needed and I'm not wanted there. Psychiatric nurse leaves. And I uh, decide to scoot my chair down a little bit, maybe just not directly across the hall. Uh, this time it's probably... 4.30, 5.30 in the morning, I'm not sure. Um, but it's just nonstop. She comes out. I sit down, she comes out. I sit down, she comes out. It's, oh my God. So I scoot down, sit down in my chair, and I'm like, maybe it looks like I'm praying. So I pull my phone out of my pocket, and I hold my phone like this, so it looks like I'm looking at my phone, and I just start praying for the lady again. And she comes out, and this time she doesn't come out at me. She goes straight across the hall to go into the room of the little girl. So I jump up, and I kick my chair out. I'm like, stop. What is your deal? And security cards come down, bring her back in, put the door down, put put the lock, the door, put her in again, even though she broke one lock. Um, and so I'm like, it's six, six 30. I'm going to go call and see where my replacement's at. Cause I've had enough. <laughs> so I go out and, uh, grab some almonds out of my truck and <clears throat> get a drink of water and call the lady that's coming to replace me and 
So I come back in, and as you, as you come into Cox North, there's the main entrance, and then they ask you what you're doing, and then there's a, a sliding glass door, and then another sliding glass door, so it's like safety doors. You, you go through one door, it closes, and then the next door will open up, and you can go in. And you go in, and then we were down the hall. Um, she can't see me. I can't see anybody in there. The security guard stops me before I go into the first set of doors. He's like, hey, can you do us a favor? Can you sit in here? Um, that lady, man, she is not happy with anyone in the hallway. And I was like, well, I think it's just me because there's three or four other people in the hallway that are sitting with their kids or whatever. And uh, he's like, yeah, I don't know. But every time you go through that first door, she goes and lays down and goes to sleep. And as soon as you go through that first door again, man, she's up sitting in her door waiting for you to come out. So there's something wrong. And I was like, ah, that's fine. Can you see the little girl? Yeah, I have a camera in the room, so... Can you just tell me when she wakes up? Because that's what I'm here for. I don't care about that. I just need to make sure that little girl's safe. He's like, as soon as she stirs, I'll let you know. A little bit later, my replacement comes in. I brief her on what's going on with the little girl. Um, I don't even mention the lady across the hall. Make the There's some people in there that are pretty rowdy, but so far she slept good all night. Uh, then the security guard says, hey, she's waking up. So we go in, and I'm like, hey, and I say her name, tell her who I am, like, let's go back to the room. So she grabs my hand, and we walk back in the room. And um, we had bought her some things that we just know that kids that are taken out of their home need and just a care package. And I gave her those things, and I talked to her for a minute. We ordered her breakfast and made sure that there was all the things she wasn't allergic to. And, and then I said goodbye and uh, left and didn't even glance in that direction of the room across the hall. And I go out to my truck, and I sit there for a minute, and... I call Amber and I was like, hey, I'm on my way home. Uh, I've had a crazy night. I don't even want to talk about it right now. And so as I'm pulling out of the parking lot and heading down Division, I lose it. I lose it. I was an emotional wreck. I'm crying. I can't control it. I've tried and I couldn't control it. I get home and Amber notices that I am visually shook. And I kind of say what happened and I'm like, I just need you to pray for me. I am been in a very extreme, crazy situation, and I just wasn't ready for it, and uh, I need you to pray for me. So she prayed. I went to sleep. It's like 8.30 now, and I, I go to sleep, and it's I don't wake up until 2.30, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and I was exhausted. It was just a rough, crazy experience. Yes. Travis, you, you told me if anyone else was telling you this story, you'd just... Yeah, it'd be crazy. I'd be like, man, it's crazy. I don't, I don't know if I believe that. <laughs> And yet, um, it happened mm-hmm. not that long ago. No. You, uh, since that time, uh, how has that event, how has it impacted you? And It makes me aware of my surroundings more. It makes me aware of those around me that I know personally that don't know Jesus. Um, it makes me more intentional or try to be more intentional. I mess up all the time. I get kind of mad at myself, but um, things like that. People on the corner I see, I, I just stand right, set in my car in prayer because I mean, obviously they don't need to know I'm praying for them, but they know they can. it's, it's affecting them. So uh, I just pray a whole lot more for people. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, did they cover this kind of stuff in, in the CASA training? Is that part of the training you went through? No. Uh, lots of training, hours and hours and hours of training on all kinds of things, but spiritual warfare was not in the yeah. cost of training at all. 
Yeah. You said uh, you, you never considered yourself to be a powerful prayer. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm not, you know, I can pray in a group. Someone says, hey, can you pray for this? I'll pray, and I, I'm fine with that. But when it's just me and God, I, I'm, I'm, I tend to stay a little surface level. I, I don't get very deep. Nobody would ever hear me pray and say, man, that, you know, that spoke to me. <laughs> it was what I prayed for that girl and that lady was very, I mean, very shallow. It wasn't, it was just what I knew they probably needed, and I prayed for it. It was nothing evangelical at all. Right? Mm-hmm. And yet, a prayer that to you seemed very surface level, mm-hmm. help, rest, peace, whatever is going on in their spirit, or even for this woman, God, uh, bring her some relief and some help. What to you is a very surface level prayer. Um, there was a, a war raging a battle raging in the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And it's just very evident through how that whole thing played out that this was someone who obviously is plagued, demon-possessed, who um, is just so evident, broken, hurting, lost. Mm -hmm. One of the things you said was, she was saying, we don't need you here. We, we don't need your Jesus. That girl doesn't need Jesus. I don't need your Jesus. Quit praying for me. And I'm, I don't care how many times she says, we don't need you. Travis was exactly where he needed to be that night. She desperately needed Travis's prayers that night. That girl desperately needed his prayers that night. That woman desperately needed prayers that night because you were light in the darkness. Mm-hmm. And light in dark places just pierces. It shines brightly, but you were there. You, you were in close proximity. And, and I know one of the reasons you joined Costa so you could get in close proximity to people who are in need and broken and, and hurting. And what that has done is it, it's placed you right in places where the gospel is needed most, where people need healing and they need Jesus. And, uh, and I'm just grateful for that, you know, Travis, that you were there and that you prayed. You just prayed. And that you go down the, the street and when you see someone on the corner or somebody who looks like they could be hurting, you, you just, you've taken on kind of a new practice of you're just going to pray for that person because you sense there's a need. And, um, you know, I, I was thinking about Jesus' words um, in Matthew 9 as we get to the end of that chapter. We were going through Matthew 9 earlier. And uh, Jesus says this, The harvest is plentiful, but workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. It was the prayer of Jesus that that we would ask and pray that God would send workers to do what Jesus did, to go into dark places, broken places, go where the sick, demon-possessed, the broken people are. And the solution to the worker shortage is just to pray. And I really want us to take just a few moments right now to make that our prayer right now, just that God would help us notice the need, that God would open our eyes so that we see that there's a world in need of Jesus and that that we would see that his desire is that we would do what Jesus did and we would go. We would go. And so if you just close your eyes right now for a moment and just take some time personally to pray. I want to invite you to pray for some things. Pray that God would open your eyes so you notice the need. Pray that that God would give you the courage and the heart 
of Jesus to go into places that are dark and broken and sick and diseased and lost and hurting, that you would go to those places and you would pray there. Just pray that that you would help advance the kingdom, which is under spiritual attack, and that you would just start pressing in and taking ground for the kingdom into areas of darkness and taking away the enemy's dominion and claiming it for the kingdom. There's going to be spiritual attacks, so we would just pray right now that God would battle, fight. He fights our battle and we lean into him. So just pray. Let's take a few moments of silence right now and just pray right now in your heart. Pray to the Lord for these things. Heavenly Father, would you give us the heart of Isaiah who said, Here am I, send me. I'll go. Would you give us a greater sense of intentionality and purpose? Lord, help us to be a church that gets on mission for you. And if we're going to do it the way Jesus did, it's not going to be by staying here. It's going to be about by going. Going to broken and lost places and doing it for the kingdom and noticing needs and And I just pray that, Lord, you would send your workers. Send us. Send us to go and to engage and to pray and to get in close proximity to that which is in need of Jesus. And I just pray that we would do what he did. Lord, this is a lost world that needs light in the darkness. And Jesus, you're the the light of the world. We are to be the light of the world, the salt of the earth. It's only possible when we go into these places. So God, would you send us? Would you move in us? Would you help us advance the kingdom against the spiritual forces of darkness in this world? Send us. Use us. Jesus, may you heal and restore. That's what the gospel's about. And I pray that we'd be all about it in Jesus' name. And all God's people say, amen. I just want to invite you right now that if you'd like to talk with someone today, pray with someone today. Uh, Travis and I will both be over here by decision point. And maybe you need to begin a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you just need prayer because you need the courage to go into these places. Maybe today you want to partner in ministry with Northside and know how to do it. We'd love to talk, pray with you over here. And uh, also this is a chance for us as we sing to give to the Lord. And you can do that through the text to give or online on the screen or just in the boxes at the back of the room as you leave. But let's... Make sure as we leave, we leave on mission. So Northside, let's stand to our feet. Let's worship.
Thanks for joining us this morning, Northside. Before you go, make sure you check in and let us know you were here. Text the word CHECK to 417-233-1200. If you want to respond to today's service, you can do that online through Decision Point. If you want to know more about baptism or becoming a member, you can request more info at northsidechristianchurch.net slash decision. This is also the place to find out about our life groups, find out what sort of service opportunities there are, or if you just need to get in touch with a minister. And if you're online, you probably use social media too. Make sure you're following along with Northside on our Facebook page, Instagram account, YouTube channel, or Twitter. We are glad that you chose to join us this morning. As we head out for the week, let's make sure we take the love of God with us. Take good care of each other, Northside.